Hey there, listeners. It's Malik and Reese with your Bigger Pockets podcast, where we answer your rental questions with our rental experts. Today, we have Tracy from Denver, who's just starting to get into multifamily properties, and she's wondering should she do Section 8? She said the state is willing to give her $1,200 a month, but she's concerned that what if her tenants trash the property? She has no recourse. She isn't able to get money from the tenant or the, for the repairs because they're Section 8, and she doesn't have the money to put up to repair those, make the repairs either. What would you recommend? So, great question. A lot of people think that with Section 8 that they meet a different criteria. I think this all goes back to who's managing the property. Uh, for ex- example, our management structure and the way we have it is no matter if there is a Section 8 voucher or not, they have to meet all the credit requirements as any other property. So we keep that standard across the board. So don't think that just because they, they're a Section 8 resident that they're not a quality resident. There's a lot of good programs out there that do provide housing assistance and Section 8 is one of those. We have quite a few Section 8 properties and when those go on the market, they have to meet the minimum credit qualifications, the income qualifications, all of that. We also require the standard security deposit as if they did not have the Section 8. So if it's a $1,200 property, you should be getting a $1,200 security deposit when they move in and that protects you from the damages. Second to this is you also want to make sure that you document the condition of the property with your management service so that you know what you're turning the property over to them in. Um, If there are any damages caused, that inspection report showing the condition at move-in will be what you would need to make uh, claims on their security deposit or above that if needed. Also, Section 8 residents, if you go to their counselor and they've damaged the property, they could lose their Section 8 benefits by leaving these houses trashed. They're expected to, uh, to, to uphold the property in the same manner. So don't be afraid of Section 8 residents. If it, if it works into your investment strategy, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the more important question is make sure that the same requirements are, uh, for screening are the same for someone that has a Section 8 voucher for someone that doesn't. Mm-hmm. So Section 8 housing is um, it's for people who are more financially, uh, they just need just a little bit more financial help. So do you think requesting a security deposit will detour residents where it's like a $1,200 lift and in turn lead to longer days on vacancy? So good question. Um, one thing that we've seen and I've seen actually quite a lot of is there's organizations that help with move-in funds as well. So it comes from a church or a small city ordinance that, that uh, helps with those move-in funds. So if they're meeting all the credit criteria, Um, and basically it comes down to move-in funds. We've done some creative things. One, maybe reduce security deposit. Like let's, for example, this instance, maybe we do a $600 security deposit versus a $1,200. You never wanna move someone in though that doesn't have some skin in the game. Even if they do require some, that's why they have the Section 8 voucher, they need to have some skin in the game because you do wanna protect your investment. And also if they come up with that security deposit, it just makes them even more of a qualified resident. So uh, between the programs and making sure you have a quality resident, I do think that it is a concern. It's not going to deter somebody from the property, but at the same time, you're going to produce a quality resident, which is essentially what you want. You want to get a quality resident. That's going to eliminate 95% of the back-end problems that you experience with any rental property, whether it's Section 8 or not. And then how would you recommend that somebody find these organizations that help with the security deposits? And what documentation do you need to bring to them to just get that process started? So we don't do any of the documentation up front. That's something that the residents would have to produce themselves. But if they go to their local housing, like their county housing association, they'll be able to point them into a lot of different directions and programs to help them get on their feet into a property that they can afford. So I would say start there. Um, For us, having uh, multiple counties in the Tampa Bay area, they do go to those 
um, housing authorities, and they're able to find those programs. And then we work with the programs to make sure that all our documentation lines up with theirs to make the move in as great of an experience as they could possibly get. Awesome. Let's move into our next question. So Corey from Brighton, Illinois, he is self-managing, and he is looking into gearing up for his first purchase, and he is buying a duplex. He currently has two tenants in this duplex, and he's just wondering some tips on handling inherited tenants. So he currently um, is, has the rent at 400 a month, and he wants to raise the rent to 450. He wants to add a pet fee as they both have cats, and um, he wants to raise it to 25 on top of that. So he's wondering, um, what is your experience in just um, adding new fees, new rent, and new people, and how should he go about that process and then getting people to pay? So great, great analysis of that. So you want to definitely start before the purchase. So if you're looking at purchasing this duplex, during your due diligence process, I would request from the seller the tenant ledgers. Let's make sure that they're a good tenant and they're paying their rent every, every month on time. Let's also make sure that they're taking care of the property. So you're going to get all of this in your due diligence period. Getting to inspect the property, you're going to make sure that they're paying their rent on time. After purchase, then it starts with the experience and making sure the relationship starts off good. So going to the property, letting them know that you're going to be the new property manager, introducing yourself, and letting them know your game plan. Say, the reason I'm raising this rent, or I'm going to in the future, is because this is what the market desires. Now understand you've been here and go through the relationship of however long that they've been there, if they've been there four years and they haven't experienced any rent raise, you can let them know that and explain that expenses on the property are going up, market rates going up, so you're going to have to raise the rent. And give them the option. Don't kick them out the next day. If they're on a month-to-month -month lease, give them a, a hefty notice to say, hey, in 60 days, um, I'm not going to renew your lease any longer on the month-to-month -month so that you can get someone in there and market rate. Now, what a lot of times investors are scared of is vacancy. Don't be afraid of vacancy to get a quality tenant at market rate. Trust me, it'll pay for itself longer term. So it's a balancing act for sure, but I think the biggest thing is knowing up front what you're inheriting by getting all the due diligence up front so that way it's not a surprise the day you close on it. And number two, establish a good relationship. We pride ourselves on having great relationships with our clients and residents, and for this reason. As soon as we buy a property and take it over, we go out in person, hand deliver notices to say, hey, we're going to be your new property manager. Here's X, Y, and Z. We've got your lease. We did the security deposit. Here's what the plans are for the future. If they're on an active lease, say, hey, I know your lease is not due for renewal until six months, but market rate for this property in six months is going to be in this range. So that's something that they can expect. Tenants don't like surprises. So if you can, the better you prepare them, the better response you're going to get. So um, would you recommend, what if there's an instance where a tenant can't make the fee and make the payments immediately? Would you offer any um, type of discounts such as um, increments? So say this next month, um, we won't count the pet fee, and um, we'll do it the next month. Or would you offer it as far as um, just giving them the option to just prorate it and like pay it in advance? So this is where you get into an iffy situation. Once you start negotiating with a resident, your relationship is tarnished at that point. So we firmly believe here at Rent Network, don't negotiate with your residents. So don't prorate. If you decide to set an amount, that's what the amount is. The flip side of that is it could cause a little turmoil between you and the resident. So brace yourself for something like that. But essentially, if you do need to make some additional changes to their lease or, or increasing amounts, you definitely want to make sure that you give them a good advance notice, but also 
don't negotiate any fees with your resident because what happens is residents will take advantage of that. It's proven time after time that the fair landlord's the one that's going to be out of pocket. So make your rules, stick by those, and have legal backing behind that so you make sure that you're doing the right thing in case you need to go down to the, the route of getting them out of the property. Awesome. So let's move into our final question for today. Brendan from Montgomery, Illinois, has just purchased a new building, new single-family property. And um, he's renting it out to a tenant. And this new tenant is refusing to pay rent because the previous landlord didn't turn over his security deposit. So Brennan is now faced with um, the issue, like the tenant wants to move out, but he has no security deposit. So this tenant has began withholding his rent. Brennan knows that he can go along the lines of evicting his tenant, but he doesn't want to face vacancy. What would you recommend? So it kind of goes back to the pre-acquisition uh, due diligence. Typically when you buy a property and the security deposit is being held, you're going to know that by getting the leases and ledgers before you close on the property. Now if there's a security deposit being held by the landlord you're purchasing it from, that either needs to be transferred on the settlement statement, which will then you'll have to write a check um, out of your pocket to cover that, or the old management company will send it to the new management company, which isn't included on the title. Let me interrupt you there, Reese. So I'm just giving you more information. So the previous landlord is saying that there's no deposit. The tenant is saying that he did pay a security deposit. Okay. So I would ask for where's the active lease that shows that he made a security deposit. It's, uh, it's up to the tenant to produce a document that says, yes, there should have been a security deposit. Under no circumstance uh, can a, a legally a resident refuse to pay rent. That, that They can't do that. Um, if there's a security deposit issue, that's something that's totally separate in the way that's legally handled. But um, all of that, again, it comes back to the due diligence. If, if there should have been a, a, some kind of document that says there's either zero or there's an X dollar amount being held that should have been identified prior to the property closing. So if you're already experiencing in this and you're on the backside, there's definitely um, an, an issue with your resident not paying rent. So I would start that legal process to move them out. I definitely wouldn't have a resident holding me hostage over a security deposit. That's just not the way to do business because your property is now a business and you can't have someone hold you hostage to pay for your services. He's also saying that um, he paid his security deposit in cash. So would you recommend that? What do you think about that? How do you handle that? How do you confront someone and say, um, I, I didn't, you didn't give me this deposit and yep. there's no record of it. So. Yep. What does he do? What's and and this is so common these days too. If you ever pay for anything in cash, get a receipt and somebody sign off on it. But um, you're just going to run into a headache with this resident because there's nothing you can do except front the security deposit money. That's about your last recourse to say, hey, I'll put it in this account that says that. But that resident has got to be able to produce some kind of documentation. That's why we have leases in Florida. Even if they're month-to-month -month leases, that there has to be something in writing that says they're month-to-month. Uh, it's just one of those things that, and I would advise, I, I forgot his name, but um, I would definitely advise um, him to go back to the, the seller and saying, hey, this guy says you owe a security deposit and, and see if you can maybe work it out that way. But ultimately, if you'd have done this work pre-closing, you probably wouldn't have these headaches. So just keep that in mind. But the best probably actionable item is to put the money that should be in the security deposit into an account for this gentleman so that you can kind of move this process forward. It'll be a lot cheaper than going through the legal process and trust me, a lot less headaches. Mm -hmm. Now on the back end of things to even make the situation worse, Brennan is saying that um, his tenant's kid has drawn on the walls and the floors and now that the tiles are cracked and now he has no security deposit to even just begin um, subtracting that from. So should he ask him to pay for this or like what advice would you give? 
There, you really can uh, you can charge for damages uh, to the property, but I would say, how do you prove that they weren't there when the resident moved in? You can't. So you've all of this is coming down to you, you purchased and didn't do your right due diligence. The only thing you can do at this point is let him move out and you start the process over. That's what you should expect when you don't do the right due diligence. So it's one of those things that you just let the resident walk because you can't prove that he didn't do that or he did do that. You're in that super gray area. So the best overall advice I can get is get professionals involved on the front side to eliminate all these back end issues. You're trying to, it sounds like there's a lot of corners being cut through this and it's causing you a lot of headaches on the back end. So just keep that in mind as you move forward. But to get out of the situation, basically you're just gonna have to let the resident go, wipe your hands clean and accept the, the damages that are there and start fresh. But it might give you an opportunity to update the unit and to get a little bit more market rent as well. So look at it the positive as well. Oh, well thanks Reese. That's all the time we have for today. For all your future questions, comments, and opinions, text us. You can contact us at 813-534-4662. One more time, that's 813-534-4662. We'll see you next time.